Amen. <clears throat> All right, you're there in Mark chapter number 6. I'd like you to look down at verse number 52. Mark chapter 6 and verse 52. The Bible says this, For they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. The Bible says they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. We started last uh, Sunday night a uh, series uh, entitled The Heart of the Matter, and we're dealing with issues of the heart. And we, we talked last week about uh, spiritual heart disease and the fact that our hearts uh, have a disease, and it'll, they'll deceive us and they'll lead us astray. And tonight I want to talk about this idea of, of a hard heart. And usually when we think of a hard heart, uh, we, if, if you're, you know, in our type of churches and movement, uh, you think of a reprobate. A reprobate is someone who has uh, been rejected. They no longer have the opportunity to be saved. In fact, keep, keep your place there in Mark 6. That's our text for tonight. But go with me to the book of John, John chapter number 12. If you're there in Mark, you're just going to go past Luke into the book of John. John chapter number 12, and look at verse number 37. John chapter 12 and verse 37. If you've never heard of the doctrine of being a reprobate, we find that word in Romans chapter 1. Jeremiah chapter 6 also defines that word for us as someone who's been rejected. And in John chapter 12, we find an example of religious reprobates, people that are very religious, yet they've lost their opportunity to be saved. John chapter 12 and verse 37 says this, But though he had done so many miracles before them, this is of course the Lord Jesus Christ, yet they believed not on him. Talking about the Pharisees, the religious group, they believed not on him that the saying of Isaiah, this is a prophecy from the book of Isaiah, that the saying of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, who hath believed our report, and to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? Notice verse 39. Therefore, notice what the Bible says, therefore they could not believe. Okay? In verse 37 it says, they believed not. They chose not to believe. In verse 39 the Bible says, they could not believe because that Isaiah said again, notice what the Bible says, verse 40, he, talking about God, hath blinded their eyes and hardened, it's God, God hath hardened their heart that they could not see with their eyes nor understand with their heart and be converted and I should heal them. Now, please don't miss that. The Bible is saying here that God blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so that they could not, so that they should not see with their eyes, so that they would not understand with their hearts, so that they would not be converted so that He will not heal them. And you need to understand that the Bible teaches that there does come a time when someone can cross a line to where they no longer have the opportunity to be saved. They no longer have... It's not that they won't believe, it's that they can't believe. God hardens their heart. It says there, and they're hardened and hardened their heart to where they won't believe, they can't believe, they wouldn't believe. Now look, did these people have an opportunity to believe? Well, in verse 37, we're told that they chose not to believe. But, and we know that the Pharisees had many opportunities to believe on Christ, but you reject God, and you reject God, and you reject God, and you reject God, and eventually, God may reject you. 
And that's why the Bible says that today is a day of salvation. That's why the Bible says that we have not put it off because we don't know what a day will bring forth. So I want you to notice normally when we think of a reprobate, of a hard heart, we think of a reprobate. Another example, and I won't run all the verses, but in the book of Exodus, we have the story of Moses and Pharaoh. And the book of Romans tells us that Pharaoh was a reprobate, someone that God put in that position basically just to show his power. And over and over again in those chapters, in chapter 7 and 8, and 9 and 10, you'll find that the Bible tells us that both Pharaoh hardened his heart and you'll also find that the Bible tells us that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. So yes, the Bible does speak of reprobate, someone who's been rejected in the sense that their hearts have been hardened. But I want you to notice, if you go back to Mark chapter 6 and look again at verse 52, that in verse 52, we find a reference of a hard heart but it's about people that are already saved. It's about believers. Mark 6, 52. Notice what the Bible says. For they, and we're going to look at, we, we read the whole chapter in its context already, and we're going to look at the story in its context here in a minute, but I want you to notice that they there is referring to the disciples. For they considered not the miracles of the loaves. Why? For their heart was hardened. And I want you to understand, and I do want you just by way of introduction to understand the difference. You say, how can it be that a, a reprobate would have their heart hardened and a believer would have their heart hardened? And here's what you need to understand. The difference is this. For a reprobate, God hardens their heart. For a believer, they can choose to harden their own heart. Now, I'm not talking about losing your salvation. I'm not talking about they become a reprobate. But what I'm saying is this. In the same way that a reprobate, before they're saved, hardens their own heart, gets hard towards God, is not soft or tender to God, does not want to hear from God, does not want to acknowledge God, does not want to uh, acknowledge the fact that God is right. In the same way, even someone who's already saved can harden their own heart. And here we see the story were the disciples themselves, the men that the Bible tells us turned the world upside down, went through a season in their life when their hearts were hardened. So go, go back to Mark chapter 6, and I want you to go up to verse 7, and let's kind of begin. We started at the end with their hardened heart, but let's see how this happened. And, I, and if you're taking notes, I'd like you to write these statements down. Number one, let's look at the cause of a hard heart. The cause of a hard heart. What causes a hard heart in the life of a Christian? What is the source of a hard heart? I want you to notice what's going on in the story. Mark chapter 6 and verse 7. The Bible says this, And he called unto him the twelve. That's, that's uh, the twelve apostles. This morning we talked about the fact that the apostles were called specifically by God. And here's an example where he called unto him the twelve and began to send them forth by two and two, and gave them power over unclean spirits. And by the way, we follow the scriptural pattern of Jesus Christ. That's why when we go out into the community and knock doors and invite people to church to preach the gospel, we generally attempt to send people out uh, by two and two. We're just trying to follow the pattern set forth in scripture. And Jesus did that. And he sent out the twelve. And if you look at verse eight, the Bible says this, and he commanded them that they should take nothing for their journey, save a staff only, no script, no bread, no money in their purse, but be shod with sandals and not put on two coats. And he said unto them, this is Jesus speaking, in what place whatsoever ye enter into a house, there abide still, 
uh, till ye depart from that place, and whatsoever shall, uh, and excuse me, verse 11, and whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear you, when ye depart then, shake off the dust under your feet, for a testimony against them. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Look at verse 12. And they went out, and they went out, and preached that men should repent. And they cast out many devils, and anointed with oil many that were sick, and healed them. They go out. Jesus calls them for the ministry. Jesus commissions them for the ministry. He sends them out. They go out to do the great work. While they're out, there's a story here about Herodias and about John the Baptist. We'll skip that for sake of time. Look down at verse number 30. In verse number 30, the apostles come back. They've been out ministering. They've been out working. The Bible calls it the work of the ministry. We saw that in Ephesians 4. They've been working and laboring, accomplishing much for God. In verse 30, the Bible says this, and the apostles gathered themselves together. This is after they've been out preaching and doing the work of the ministry. They gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told Him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. So they come back to Jesus and they're saying, let me tell you what happened out there. People got saved and people were healed. And they're giving Him the report of everything that happened. Look at verse 31. And He said unto them, now notice what Jesus says. He says, come ye yourselves apart into a desert place. Now the word desert there, I don't believe it's necessarily referring about a desert like, like cactuses, you know. I think he's referring to a place that is deserted. He's talking about let's, let's go, let's, he says come ye, uh, come ye yourselves apart into a deserted place, a place that is not inhabited by people. Why? Notice, and rest a while. He says you guys have been busy. You've been working hard. You've been accomplishing a lot. And he said, you know, why don't we take some time off? Let's go find somewhere that's deserted. Let's go find somewhere where we can uh, be alone and we can rest a while. For there were many coming and going. And they had, notice what it says, they had no leisure so much as to eat. These guys are busy. They couldn't even take a lunch break. I mean, they were working. They were doing much and great for God. Look at verse 32. And they departed into a desert place by ship privately. Could you imagine being on that ship with Jesus? I mean, I, I, I'd be excited to go on, a, to have a day off with Jesus. You know, you're going to go with Jesus over to a desert place. And you're going to rest a while and you're going to, uh, you know, I don't know what they're planning on doing. These guys, a lot of them are fishermen. I'm sure they're going to do a little fishing. Maybe grill a little bit. Relax a little bit. They've earned it. They've been working. They've accomplished a lot. They're going to go have some rest and relaxation. They departed into a desert place by ship privately. But notice what happens. Ministry, ministry has a way of messing up your plans. Ministry has a way of messing up your vacation plans. Look at verse 33. And the people saw them departing. And many knew him. And ran afoot hither out of all the cities. And notice this word. I like this word. Outwent them. Outwent them and came together unto him. That word outwent means they figured out where the ship was headed. They say, if they're going in that direction, they're probably going to this one place. And they outwent and got there before the ship got there. Notice verse 34. And Jesus, when he came out, they're supposed to be on their day off, they're supposed to be on vacation. They get to their location and they get off the ship. And notice verse 34. And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people. It was supposed to be a deserted place. 
It was supposed to be a, a, a place where they could get alone and come apart and, and relax and have some leisure. But when they get there, the crowd, the ministry, got there before they got there. And he came out and saw much people and was moved with compassion towards them because they were as sheep, not having shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And here's what I want you to understand. You say, why? why is it that the disciples at the end of the story have a hard heart? Let me explain something to you. The cause of a hard heart is often experiencing unmet expectations. I mean, could you imagine? Look, look at St. Foregan. And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people and was moved with compassion toward them because they were a sheep not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Could you imagine the disciples... Saying, wait, wait a minute. I thought we were going to have a day off. I thought we were going to go grill. We're going to grill and we're going to, we're, we're going to, uh, uh, you know, go fishing. And I don't know what the disciples and Jesus did on their day off, you know. I thought we were going to, uh, I don't know what they're doing. I, they're, I, I doubt they're playing volleyball. But, you know, I thought we were going to just have some time to, to relax and to, and, and, and to have a day off. And they get there and Jesus sees the people and he says, hey guys, we got to get to work. And he has compassion on them. And can you just imagine the disciples? Because remember, at the end of the story, Jesus reveals for us that their hearts are hearted. Could you imagine? that they say, well, we were expecting some time off, Jesus. We were expecting some time alone, Jesus. We've been working hard, and you said we'd get a day off, and you said we'd come apart, and, and, and now we're here, and there's people here, and, and, and we're not getting what we expected. And I want to explain something to you. A hard heart will often come because of unmet expectations. Because there are things we expected and we wanted, and we set our heart on them, and then they didn't happen. I mean, every little girl dreams of the day that she will get married, and dreams of the day that she will have a family, and dreams of the day. Every little boy, I mean, go around and ask these boys, and ask them, what do you want to do when you grow up? And they're going to tell you they want to be a firefighter, and an astronaut, and a cowboy, all at the same time. You know, they want to do that. I remember my, my boys are a little older now, but, you know, they, they, anything that had a car with lights on it, that's what they, they want to be a firefighter and a cop and, 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 a, and, a, and a paramedic and a taxi driver. I mean, they kind of lumped all of that together, you know? And it was like, you got a cool car, that's what I want to be. And look, all of us have expectations. All, I mean, I, I, I start, we started Verity Baptist Church six and a half years ago. And I'll tell you, there were some things that have happened in the last six and a half years that I thought to myself, that's not really what I was expecting. I didn't really think, and you may get, and you say, well, I didn't really think marriage life was going to be like this. I didn't really think parenting life was going to be like this. I, I, I gave four years to get a degree to do this career, and I thought it was going to be a little different, or I, I, I went into the ministry, or whatever it might be. We all have expectations that we think, here's what I wanted, here's what I expected, here's what I thought was going to happen, and when that doesn't happen, if we're not careful, our hearts can get hard. And we can begin to get bitter and upset and say, well, Jesus, I thought you. And Jesus, why did you? See, sometimes we get a hard heart because of an experience of unmet expectation. But let me say this. Sometimes we get a hard heart because we feel unacknowledged or unappreciated or overlooked. I mean, look at verse 34 again. And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people. You know who he didn't see? The 12 disciples. 
and was moved with compassion toward them. Toward who? The much people. You know who he wasn't moved with compassion? Towards the twelve. Because they were as sheep not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them. Began to teach who? The multitude. Not the twelve. And could you imagine? The twelve. Jesus said, hey guys, I need to unload and get, start getting things ready. We're going to have church, you know. Go get the chairs. Go get whatever it is, you know, all their equipment. Could you imagine them kind of just grumbling and uh, 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 talking to themselves? Say, well, what about us? Why, why are all these people so important? They've already had their opportunity. It, it's supposed to be our turn. And they felt, and look, legitimately, they were overlooked. They felt unappreciated. They felt unacknowledged. They said, why, why is he giving them that, the attention? And why is he putting the attention on them? And, and, and what about us? And here's what I'm telling you. Sometimes we feel like we have expectations that are not being met. And sometimes we feel, I've been working hard. I've been accomplishing a lot. I've been outdoing it. And no one pat me on the back. And no one acknowledged me. And why is he so focused on them? And all I'm telling you is from time to time, if you don't let that, if you allow that to get out of control, it will cause a heart that gets hard towards the things of God. Keep your place there in Matthew chapter 6. Go with me to the book of 2 Kings. Let me give you an example of this. Matthew chapter, uh, I'm sorry, 2 Kings chapter 5. Keep your place in, in Mark chapter 6. Go to 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings, if you find those one, two books in the Old Testament, you got 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st, 2nd Kings, 1st, 2nd Chronicles, 2 Kings chapter 5. Let me ask you something. What were you expecting in life that you did not get? That results in a hard heart. What area in life do you feel, look, it could be church life, it could be work life, it could be marriage life, where you feel like, well, I just don't feel like they really acknowledge or appreciate the, the effort that I bring to this family, the effort that I bring to this workplace, the effort that I bring to this church. That could result in a hard heart. 2 Kings chapter 5, look at verse 1. In 2 Kings, we have a famous story of a man named Naaman. 2 Kings chapter 5 and verse 1, the Bible says this, Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, notice what the Bible says, was a great man. This was a man that got a lot of respect. He was a great man. He, he, people, people saw him as a leader, notice, with his master. He was a great man with his master and honorable. He was respected. When he walked in the room, people stood. When he spoke, people listened. He was a respected. He was a great man. And he was an honorable because by him, the Lord had given deliverance into Syria. He was also a mighty man. He was a warrior. He was a soldier that had won battles and had freed his people. And he was also a mighty man in valor. The only problem was that he was a leper. Notice verse 1. But he was a leper. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captives out of the land of Israel, a little maid. And she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God, my Lord, were, the prophet, uh, were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. And one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus said the maid that is up the land of Israel. And by the way, I'm not preaching on this, but it's interesting that this little maid is able to direct him to the man of God. Direct him to God. And this little unnamed maid was just a faithful witness, a faithful soul winner at work, just faithfully when the opportunity arose to say, hey, I, I know who can help you. Notice verse 5. 
And the king of Syria said, Go to, go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed and took him with ten talents of silver and six thousand pieces of gold and ten changes of raiment. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel. I, I think I, I like this story. I think this is interesting. Verse 6. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, Now when this letter is come unto thee, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman, my servant, to thee, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. So the maid said, Hey, you need the prophet. He can heal you of your prophecy. The king says, I'll write a letter to the king. He sends it with Naaman. The king uh, opens the letter, and it says, I want you to recover him of his leprosy. And the king Verse 7, he reacts, he says, And it came to pass, when the king of Israel had read the letter, that he read his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive? That this man to send unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? Whosoever consider, uh, wheresoever consider, I pray you, and see how he seeketh the call again. He said, You want me to heal this guy? You know, the king. And you know, it's interesting because often when we have a problem, we go to the wrong place for the answer. And, and, and he says, the, she said, go to the prophet. And they go to the king. And the king says, what am I supposed to do with this? How am I supposed to heal? I can't heal you. Are you just trying to pick a fight with me? You're trying to see that I can't heal him and, and, and have a quarrel against me? No, it's verse 8. And it was so when Elisha, the man of God, who they should have gone to to begin with, heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, he sent to the king saying, wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now to me. And he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. He says, he was supposed to come to me to begin with. Look verse 10. And Elisha sent the messenger unto him, saying, I want you, don't, miss, don't miss what's going on here. I, I'm, I'm sorry, look at verse 9. So Naaman came. Now don't, don't, don't miss this, right? Remember, this was a mighty man. This was a mighty warrior. This was a general. He was very respected, very honored, very, very uh, a great man. And the Bible says in verse 9, So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot. I mean, just look, imagine that in your, in your mind. He comes with his whole, his whole entourage. I mean, they've got horses and they've got chariots. And you can tell that these people have money and they have power. And they are coming down to the house of Elisha. And stood at the door of the house of Elisha. Notice verse 10. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him. I want you to understand what's going on here. Elisha's sitting on a couch in his house. They look out the window. They see horses. They see chariots. They see Naaman, this great captain and great honorable man. And Elisha says, hey, servant, come over here. Tell him. Go talk to him. Elisha doesn't even get up. Elisha doesn't even go to the door. Elisha sends a servant. No, no, it's sent. And Elisha sent the messenger unto him, saying, Go wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. Imagine that. The door opens. We're here to see Elisha. He's busy. What's he doing? He's in a bubble bath. <laughs> but he sent me to tell you that if you just go wash in the... If you go wash in Jordan seven times... Thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. Now notice the response, verse 11. But Naaman was wroth. He was angry. He was mad. And went away and said, Behold, now don't, don't, don't miss this. You ought to underline this in your, in your Bible. He, he's mad and angry, and he says, Behold, I thought 
Expectation. I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord is good and strike his hand over the place and recover the lover. Here's what he's saying. I had an expectation that he would come out and there'd be this great service and he gave this great call. I, I thought that he would come. I mean, doesn't he know who I am? And you know what Naaman is experiencing? Unmet expectations. Unacknowledged, unappreciated. And he's mad. And he's angry. And he's upset. He says, well, I thought, I just thought that. And the funny thing is, that if you look, look at verse 11, but Naaman was wroth and went his way and said, behold, I thought he will surely come out to me. I feel unacknowledged and unappreciated. And stand and call in the name of the Lord and God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. He, he said, I, I had certain expectations that have not been met. Are not Abana and Farfar rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. And the servants came near and spake unto him. You know, one thing I'll tell you about Naaman. He surrounded himself with some good people. And a servant came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee to do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather than when he saith unto thee, wash and be clean. And by the way, this is a picture of salvation. Amen. Most, people, most people say, well, there's going to be a great thing that I've got to accomplish. And don't I have to do some great thing in order to be cleansed? He says, no, just wash and be clean. Just, just wash yourself in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be fine. It's not hard. It's not difficult. We don't need a lot. We just need you to follow the instructions you've been given. Look at verse 14. Then when he down. And dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. And here's what I want you to understand. Often, oftentimes we will be enraged, and oftentimes we will be upset, and oftentimes our hearts will grow hard when we have expectations. When we have expectations that have not been met. And when we feel unappreciated and unacknowledged. And here's the question I have for you. Where do those expectations come from? You know what the Bible says? The Bible says, For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. God says this, The only expectation you ought to have in life, if you're saved, is that I'll give you food, and I'll give you raiment. And anything you get on top of that, just count it a blessing. But we say, well, if I can't live in this neighborhood, and if I can't be married with this individual, and if I can't have this life, or if I can't have this career, if I can't have this ministry, and if I can't have this and this and this, then I will not be happy. Where did that come from? Where did God promise you that? Where did God give you that? We have unmet expectations, but they are expectations that we have placed on ourselves and our God. And you know, Jesus says, hey, guys, change of plans. He said, well, we were, expecting a we were expecting a relaxing time. And you're overlooking us. And you're not acknowledging us. And listen to me, we, we, I struggle. I, I tell you, I struggle with this in ministry. Because I, I, I do my best, and, and, I, and, I would, and you can ask my wife, and my, my wife and I both, we do our best. There are so many people in this church that do so much that do so much for the ministry here. And, and I mean, if I could tell you of the hours upon hours that people will sacrifice and give in all sorts of different ministries, and we try to acknowledge them, and we try to show our gratitude, and we try to, to, to say, you know, and, and we don't do a good job with it. And, and sometimes we, you know, I mean, just sometimes my wife and I will be talking late at night and say, man, you know, 
It's been a while before, since we've thanked so-and-so for all they do. And, and here's the thing. We struggle with that. And, I, and I'm admitting that to you. And I'm admitting that as a fault. And we're trying to do better. But let me explain something to you. If you're doing it to get a pat on the back, why are you doing it? And the question you've got to ask is, why do I do what I do? Look, sometimes I get up here and preach a sermon. And every person out that door is saying, Pastor, great sermon. That was a great, that was one of the best sermons I've ever heard you preach. Sometimes I get up here and preach a sermon and nobody says a thing. <laughs> and you've got to ask yourself, well, why do you do what you do? Why, do you do it for the pat on the back? You do it, see, what will cause a hard heart often, the source of a hard heart is having unmet expectations. I thought God was going to allow me to. Where did you get that from the Bible? Where did God promise that to you? God said, having food and raiment, let us be there with content. God, God says, hey, be content with, with, with what I've given you. So we said, number one, the cause of a hard heart. But I'd like to say, number two, if you go back to Mark chapter 6, not only is there the cause of a hard heart, and, and, and I'll be honest with you, it burdens me. It burdens me. Sometimes I feel like I can't, I can't even appreciate the amount of sacrifice that some people do around here. Sometimes I feel like I, I thank people too much. Sometimes people tell me, like, Pastor, quit thanking me. You know, but it's, I, don't, I don't know how else to express just, you know, the things you do here are so, are, 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 are so great. You know, and we've got so many people that do so much. But sometimes, look, sometimes you will go unacknowledged. Sometimes pastors just going to forget. I'm, I'm just a human. Look, sometimes I'm going to forget it's your dog's birthday. And you're not going to get that birthday card from us. And, you know, we don't give birthday cards for dogs, okay? I'm just joking. Sometimes I'm going to forget it's your birthday. Or we're going to forget it's your son's birthday or your daughter's birthday. Or whatever it might be, you know, and I'm just, I'm just telling you, don't these things, these expectations will sometimes cause, they'll be the source of a hard heart. But let's, let's look at number two, the characteristics of a hard heart. We saw the source, but let's look at the symptoms. What are the characteristics of a hard heart? What, how do you diagnose a hard heart? How do you know if you've got a hard heart? Well, go, go back to Mark chapter 6. Look at verse 35. You say, well, how do, how do I know if I have a hard heart? Or you might say, I think my spouse may have a hard heart. How do I know that? I, I, I think my, my son may have a hard heart. How do I know that? Let me give you some characteristics of a hard heart. I want to give you two symptoms of a hard heart. Number one, when you begin to develop a bad attitude towards people, when you begin to develop a bad attitude towards people, you probably have a hard heart. Mark 6, look at verse 35. And when the day was now far spent, their day off is gone. It's been wasted. They're supposed to relax, and now that's not going to happen. And when the day was far spent, now please, please watch this, watch this. His disciples, those are the followers, came unto him, that's Jesus. Now, as, as, as far as I can remember, Jesus was the boss. The disciples were the followers. Jesus was the leader. The disciples were supposed to submit to his authority. And when the day was now far spent, his disciples came unto him and said, this is a desert place. Now, they're probably, I, I think they're saying it with an attitude, you know. Remember Jesus? The whole reason we came out here was because this place is deserted. This is a desert place. And now... By the way, the time is far spent. Remember, we're supposed to have a day off. 
Remember, we were supposed to come out here. The whole point of coming out here was to have a day off. Well, this is a desert place, Jesus, and the day is far spent. And you say, well, I don't know. Maybe you're reading into the bad attitude. Look at verse 36. Send them away. Oh, hold on a second. Why are you telling Jesus what to do? What? I, last I checked, we don't give Jesus orders. Last I checked, Jesus tells us when we're done. Last I checked, Jesus is the one that tells us when we're done. Now notice, verse 36, send them away. That they may go into the country round about, into the villages to buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. Because this is a desert place, remember? We're supposed to come out for a day off, remember? Now I think Jesus gets a little smart with them here. Kind of messes with them. Look at verse 37. He answered and said unto them. Can you imagine Jesus just saying this? Give ye them to eat. No, Jesus, send them away. These people, there's nothing to feed them here. They're, they've already wasted their day. Why don't you send them away? And he just got his mouth and said, you, you give them to eat. Give you them to eat. And they say unto him, shall we go? Notice the attitude. Shall we go and buy 200 penny worth of bread and give them to eat? Okay, sure, Jesus, you want to just go and, and buy just thousands of dollars worth of food to feed these people. Can you notice the attitude? Notice they're kind of upset. They're kind of not happy. John chapter 6, you don't have to turn there, but in John chapter 6, the Bible tells us that Jesus, about the story, that he said that to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. He's just trying to get a reaction from them. He's he's trying to see, where's your heart in this thing? Notice verse 38. Now, in verse 38 through verse 44, we find one of the most famous miracles recorded in Scripture. He saith unto them, this is Jesus speaking, How many loaves have ye? Go and see. And when they knew, they say, Five and two fishes. And he commanded them to make all sit down by companies upon the green grass. And they sat down in ranks by hundreds and fifties. And when he had taken five loaves and two fishes, he looked up to heaven and blessed and break the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fishes divided he among them all. And they did all eat and were filled. And they took up twelve baskets. Think about this. They started with... with, uh, Five loaves and two fishes. They feed 5,000 men, we're told. We're not told what the women and children are. There could have been up to 20, 30,000 people here. They feed all of them. When they all get fed, they have left over 12 baskets. Notice verse 44. And they that did eat of the loaves were about 5,000 men. Excuse me, verse 43. And they took up 12 baskets full of fragments and of the fishes. You say, what, what, how do we diagnose a bad heart? A hard heart. Here's how we diagnose it. Number one, when you begin to have, when you begin to develop a bad attitude, just realize, just realize that's a symptom of a bad heart. But there's a second symptom. Notice verse 45. And straightway. Now notice what Jesus does here. You ever work with somebody who had a bad attitude? I remember when I was a kid, I used to, when I was in school, we, were, we, we had a, a soccer team that we were on. And we, I went to a Christian school that had like 20 kids in it. And uh, when I graduated, I was the only graduate. You know, I, it was just me. I was the graduating class. And, there, and in our soccer team, you know, our small Christian school would play other small Christian schools. And, you know, it was like you had kids there ranging all sorts of ages or whatever. And, and everybody was forced to play. You had to play. Well, there's one kid that had a really bad attitude about soccer. And he did not want to play. And he made sure we all knew it. You know, and he would stand, he'd play whatever position he play, he'd just stand there like this. That's how some of you come to church, you know. And the ball would roll by him and he wouldn't move. 
And yeah, it didn't make, it didn't make soccer fun. It wasn't fun playing with them. And these guys are kind of having a bad attitude. I mean, they're picking up 12 baskets full of fragments that came from five loaves and two fishes. And they're just kind of like, uh, wish these people would go away. Ruin my day off. And that's what Jesus does. Because nobody likes to work with somebody who has a bad attitude. So notice what he does, verse 45. And straightway, he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side before unto Bethsaida. He said, you know what, guys? I think you're done. Just, just get in the ship and go. Now, but notice, notice, the work's not done. Notice, while he, that's Jesus, while he sent away the people, there was still work to be done. There was still ministry to be done. There, there were still things that needed to be done. They have to lock up. They have to clean up. Somebody had to take the trash out. They still had things. The people were still there, but they had such a bad attitude that Jesus said, why don't you guys just go ahead and go? I'll finish up. I'll, I'll take care of the rest. While he, could you imagine? Could you imagine leaving the Lord of the universe to finish the job on his own while he sent away the people? So what, what's, a, what's a diagnosis of a hard heart. Well, number one, you develop a bad attitude towards people. Well, number two, you disconnect from the work of the ministry. Jesus said, why don't you guys go ahead? And they said, uh, well, Jesus, you know, don't you, need to, don't you need some help? Why don't you guys just, just go ahead? You know, I'll, I'll finish it. Well, well, Jesus, there's still work to be done. People still have to be sent home. We need to make sure, we still gotta, we gotta drive the, the van home and we gotta make sure that everything gets done. He says, I'll, I'll take care of it. I'll take care of him. And you know, and you know, they went. They laughed. They were disconnected. Their heart wasn't in it. They just, whatever. Amen. See, the cause of a hard heart is having unmet expectations. The cause of a hard heart is feeling unappreciated, overlooked. The characteristics of a hard heart is developing a bad attitude. The characteristics of a hard heart is disconnecting from the work. These guys were hard workers. I mean, keep in mind, we just read that they went out and preached the gospel and healed the sick. They, 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 they got people saved. They did all that. But now their hearts are hard. The work's not done. They just take off. Whatever. Jesus will do it. Number three, we saw the cause of a hard heart. We saw the characteristics of a hard heart. Let's look at the cure of a hard heart. We saw the source and the symptoms. What's the solution? How do you solve this thing? Notice verse 46. And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. And when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he alone on the land. And he saw them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed by them. But when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit, and cried out, for they all saw him and were troubled. And immediately he talked with them and saith unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And he went up unto them into a ship, and the wind ceased, and they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered. I want to explain something to you. You know what the solution to a hard heart is? It is often the storms of life that God has to allow into our lives. Sometimes our hearts get so hard, God just kind of shakes us a little bit. And he says, why don't you guys get on the ship and get out into the middle of the sea? You know, I'll stay over here. And he sends them out into a storm because their hearts are hard. You say, how do you solve a hard heart? 
Well, in Jeremiah chapter 4, in verse 3, the Bible says this, Thus saith the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground, and sow not among the thorns. Job 23.16 says this, For God maketh my heart soft, and the Almighty troubleth me. Sometimes God has to trouble you to make your heart soft. Sometimes God has to just spin you out of control to get you to wake up a little bit. There's another example. We saw an example of Naaman. Let me give you another example. Go to the book of Jonah. Jonah chapter number 1. Towards the end of the Old Testament, you got Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah. Remember Jonah? Jonah chapter 1. Look at verse 1. We'll just do it quickly. We're almost done. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. Notice what the Bible says. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, now watch this, watch this. Jonah chapter 1, verse 2. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it. For their their wickedness has come up before me. Notice the response of Jonah, verse 3. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish. Now if you look at a map, Tarshish is the exact opposite direction. Of Nineveh. You know what happened here? Jonah was a prophet of God who expected to be sent somewhere good. But when the call of God came and God says, Nineveh, he got mad. I wasn't expecting to be sent to Nineveh. God, I thought you were going to send me to Israel. I thought you were going to send me to Jerusalem. I thought you were going to send me to Samaria, but Nineveh, he had some expectations that weren't met. Why would God send me to Nineveh? Why doesn't he send somebody else? Why is God, why, why, am I not good enough? He feels unappreciated. He feels overlooked, un, uh, 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 unacknowledged. And he gets mad. He gets upset. He rose up, look at verse 3, but Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa and he found the ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Look at verse 4. But the Lord sent a great wind into the sea. You know what God does when your heart's hard? You know what God does when you're, you're stiff-necked? When you won't, you won't submit, you're upset, I thought this was how it was going to happen, I never wanted to go start a church in Nineveh, I never wanted to go preach in Nineveh, I didn't want it. You know what God does? He'll send you straight into a storm. That's what he'll do. Notice, notice verse 4, but the Lord sent the great wind into the sea and there was a mighty tempest in the sea so that the ship was like to be broken. Keep your place there in Jonah. We're going to come right back to it. And I want you to notice number four. I said number one, we saw the cause of a hard heart. We saw the source, where it comes from. Where does it come from? Unmet expectations and being overlooked, unappreciated, unacknowledged. We saw the characteristics of a hard heart. What are the symptoms? You develop a bad attitude towards people and you disconnect from the work of God. What's the cure? The cure is often God having to send you into a storm, having to spin you around. Oftentimes, we go into storms of life, and I'm not saying they're all because of a hard heart, but whenever things start going wrong, you might want to stop and ask yourself. You might want to stop and just get a heart check. I'm not talking about CVS. You might want to just stop and say, God, are you trying to get my attention? Are you, are you, are you trying to show me something? Is there something you're trying to get my attention with? Because here's what you need to understand. A hard heart cannot be allowed to go on. 
Because there are consequences for a hard heart. We saw the cause and the characteristics. We saw the cure. But lastly, I just want you to notice the consequences of a hard heart. Keep your place there in in Jonah. Go to Mark chapter 6. Look at verse 52. Notice the consequences. For they, Mark chapter 6, verse 52. We're almost done. Mark 6, 52. For they considered. You know what the word considered means? To think about, to rejoice, to acknowledge. For they considered not the miracle of the loaves. For they considered not the miracle of the loaves. Why? Why? For. That word for means because. Here's why. Because their heart was hardened. Now please understand this. The miracle of the five loaves and two fish is one of the most famous miracles in, in the Bible. And people that aren't saved and people don't read the Bible know about Jesus feeding the 5,000 with five loaves and two fishes. It's, it's a great thing. I mean, don't you wish you would have been there? I would have loved to have been there. I would have loved to have been there and watch Jesus take that fish and, and, and pray and those loaves and pray and he starts ripping that thing apart and it just keeps, keeps going. Never stops. These 20,000, 30,000 people never stops. But you know, these 12 disciples, the Bible tells us they missed all of it. They were there. They were helping. But their attitude was so bad that they didn't consider it. They didn't think about, what is going on here? Look at this great miracle that Jesus is performing. I mean, this is amazing. Somebody needs to write this down. They weren't thinking that. Their hearts were hardened. They didn't consider, they did not consider the miracle of the loaves. Why? For their heart was hardened. And you know what will happen in your heart? You know what will happen in your life? God will be working all around you. God will be doing great things all around your life, but you'll miss it. You'll miss it because your heart is hard. I mean, think about this church. Think about Verity Baptist Church. I mean, you go to a church, think, think about this. You go to a church that not only sings the traditional hymns, which I don't know if you know this, is not very popular today. Preaches out of the King James Bible, 400 years plus old, which is not very popular today. You have a pastor that gets up here on a Sunday morning and preaches about sin and names names and talks about alcohol and fornication and this and that. And sometimes the sermons are nice and sometimes the sermons are not. But, uh, you know, it doesn't matter if it's Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I mean, we, we get up here and we preach whatever the Bible says, which is not very popular today. This morning we had 170 people in church. I mean, I don't know if you know this, but most IFB churches are dead. Most IFB churches, they're not, it's not exciting. You walk in here on a Sunday morning, this place is exciting. You walk in here on a Sunday night, this place is exciting. You walk in here on a Wednesday night, this place is exciting. You walk in here on a Saturday morning, so many, and you think you're at a church service. This place is just exciting, and there's people here, and they're fellowship. We had 70, what was it, 79 soul winners this week? We had, we had like 30 people in this choir. This choir has a trumpet and a violin and a flute. You know, for a church our side. I mean, I'm talking about, look, look, just, just look around. We had, we had 45 people at the last homeschool field trip. 45. We have a homeschool group with 45 people in it. Most homeschool groups that aren't connected to churches, that all, that's all they do is they're a homeschool group, don't have 45 people in them. We have people saved every week around here. We've had 18 salvation, we've had 18 baptisms this year. Most churches won't have 18 baptisms in five years. We've had 18 baptisms this year so far. 
Thus far, we're in March. I mean, and I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm just trying to brag on you a little bit. This is unique. This is not normal. This time, it's not normal. Think about how many churches in Sacramento are having church right now. Very few. Think about how many have this many people on a Sunday night. There's very few. Look around. Look at these kids. Where else are you going to see a bunch of six and seven and eight and nine-year-old kids running around after service, tackling each other, and, and they shouldn't be doing that, and we need to get them under control, okay? But, you know, playing, and, and, there's, and they're walking around in shirts and ties. Where are you going to see that? Where are you going to find marriages, husbands and wives that love each other? Where, where are you going to go and, and sing praises to God? Where, where, I'm just telling you, what God is doing here is unique. What God is doing here is not normal. What God is doing here, most churches wish, most churches wish that after six years, they could see the blessings that we have here at Verity Baptist Church. And some of you are missing it. Because you have a bad attitude. Because someone sat in your chair. Because someone took your parking spot. Because someone didn't forget, forgot your name or didn't acknowledge your birthday or whatever it was. And you get angry and you get upset. And God is doing wonderful things all around us. And you miss it. You don't consider it. You don't rejoice about the baptisms, the salvations, the soul winners, the work that's being done. Because your heart is hard. Because your life is all about you. And what I want, and what I expected, and what I thought. And sometimes God has to send you in the middle of a storm to get you to wake up. Go to, go to Jonah. Go to Jonah. Chapter 1, look at verse 5. Notice what Jonah was doing. Jonah 1, verse 5. Then the mariners were afraid, and cried every man unto his God, and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it off of them. Notice what Jonah was doing. But Jonah went down into the sides of the ship, and he lay, and he was fast asleep. That's what some of you are doing. You're just sleeping through it. You're just sleeping through it. One day you're going to get to heaven, and people are going to be telling stories about the great things, the great things to God be the glory, great things he hath done. And we're going to be talking about all the salvations and the lives that were transformed and the work that God did. And do you remember that time? Do you remember this time? And do you remember when we went out to Mexico? Do you remember when we went out and we knocked doors? And remember that Easter where we broke 200? Do you remember? And we're going to be talking about that. And some of you are going to be like, I think I was there, but I just don't remember. My heart was hard because I was upset and bitter and angry. Romans chapter 13 and verse 11, you don't have to turn there, says this, and that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than we believed. We need to wake up. We need God to soften our hearts. Let me just read these verses to you. We'll be done. Proverbs 28, 14, you don't have to turn there. Proverbs 28, 14 says this, Happy is the man that feareth always, but he that hardeneth his heart shall fall into mischief. Let's talk about those storms. When you harden your heart, you'll fall into mischief. So, and save it such as be of a contrite spirit. Psalm 51 and verse 17 says this The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt 
not despise. Go to Mark chapter 8. I'll show you one verse, and we'll be done. Mark chapter 8. How long, here's the question, how long will you let your hard heart go? Because here's what's interesting. The story of the miracles, of the, of the feeding, happens twice. I don't know if you know that. Happens two times in the Bible. Feed 5,000, feed 4,000. And the first time it happened in, in Mark chapter 6, and then in Mark chapter 7, there's kind of a, sto- a story that goes on in between. But then it happens again. And, and, and I want you to notice that this condition of their heart was not solved immediately because in Mark chapter 8 and verse number 17, Jesus says this to the disciples. He says, and when Jesus knew it, Mark chapter 8, verse 17, and when Jesus knew it, he saith unto them, why reason ye because ye have no bread? Perceive ye not yet, neither understand. He said, look, I fed 5,000 people. Why are you upset that you don't have bread? He says, why don't you understand? Notice what he says. Have ye your heart yet hardened? He says, how long are you going to let this hard heart thing go on for? He said, you know, when your heart was hard in chapter 6, okay. I took your day off. I sent you on your way. But then chapter 7, you're still having a hard heart. And here in chapter 8, he says, how long are you going to do this for? How many miracles are you going to miss? How many years are going to go by? I mean, here's a question I'm asking you. How long are you going to let this hard heart thing go? Say, I've been hurt. We've all been hurt. I'm not minimizing whatever happened to you. I'm just telling you, we've all been hurt. People, it's funny, people come to me as a pastor like, Pastor, I'm offended. I think to myself, you know, I get offended too. Ah, pastor, I'm upset with you. You know, I get upset with you too. <laughs> pastor, my wife's not happy. Sometimes she doesn't like you people either. <laughs> How long are you going to let it go? How long are you going to have that hard heart? How many storms are you going to have to go by? How many miracles are going to go by? How many things are going to go by before you wake up, Jonah, and say, I wasn't expecting Nineveh, but if that's what God wants, I'll go. I thought we were going to get a day off today, but if we've got to work, that's work. Look, we all have expectations. I had expectations for this church. I'm happy with what God has done here. I'm, I'm blessed. But there's things that have happened in this ministry that I thought, I wasn't really expecting that. Sometimes you just have to let those things go and say, God, whatever your will is, let thy will be done. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for these stories in Scripture that we can learn about and pattern our lives to. Lord, I, I realize that we all... Have expectations. We all expect that certain things are going to happen. We all think that when I knock on that door, Elisha's going to come out. And sometimes Elisha doesn't come out. And Lord, just help us to be okay with that. We all expect to be sent somewhere and then we're told to go to Nineveh and that's not where we expected to go. Help us to be okay with that. We thought we were going to have a day off. And then ministry got in the way. Lord, help us to be okay with that. Help us to not harbor on those things. Not allow them to grow our hearts hard. Because the consequences are we miss out on the great things you're doing in and around us. Lord, I pray you'd help us. I pray you'd help us. I pray you'd help this group. And if nobody else, Lord, I pray you'd help me to realize 
the wonderful things you're doing here. And Lord, when I get upset, when I get hurt and offended, Father, help me to just let things go. Help us to just be okay with your will. We love you, Father. In your precious name I pray. Amen.